Uh, yes, we are in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21 is what we're going to be looking at today. And just to give a little bit of context to the passage, uh, a very large crowd has been listening to Jesus preach on all sorts of important uh, matters. So Jesus has covered the fear of the Lord, heaven, hell, judgment day, and whether or not Christ will acknowledge or deny people on that day. In other words, Jesus is talking about very uh, weighty matters of life, things that don't just matter uh, here today, but really will matter for the rest of forever. And, and right in the middle of these weighty eternal things, someone interrupts Jesus's sermon, right? And you're like, well, it must be something important, right? If they're going to interrupt him talking about um, eternal matters and heaven and hell and life after death. And so a man from the crowd interrupts and he says, Jesus, I'm sure this stuff is really important. I, I'm sure we need to know about this, but I have something much more urgent and much more pressing that we need to talk about today. And what is it? His brother's inheritance. All right. And so he, he stops everything. He says, Jesus, uh, my parents just died and they have made a terrible mistake. They they took all their possessions and they've given them to my brother. And Jesus, I want you to fix this. I want you to go tell my brother that I deserve some of his stuff. All right. Now, honestly, I don't know about you, but this is a little embarrassing to me. Right. It's it's kind of got a people's court or Judge Judy type vibes. Right. Like these two grown men who are willing to drag out uh, their, their issue in front of a, an entire audience and then have someone make a judgment, right? And so uh, Jesus looks at this guy and he says, I, I didn't come to deal with such petty issues like that. He says, I, I came to this world to, to deal with issues for sure, but I'm not going to go to your house and um, start you know, splitting everything between you and your brother to make sure it's all perfectly fair. But... Jesus says to the man, you do have a very serious issue that I'm going to give a lot of time to. There, there's something going on in your life. And, and if you want to see it, you're going to have to, at least for a moment, stop looking at your brother's wealth and his stuff. And, and you're going to have to turn your eyes inward. And for at least a little bit, you're going to have to look at what's going on in your heart. And so Jesus says in verse 15, you must guard yourself against, against covetousness and the love of possession. So that's what Jesus is going to address um, in the man's heart and, and hopefully in our hearts as well today. What is a covetous heart? Well, the word that Jesus used here, it, it literally translates a greedy desire to have more or an excessive craving for something. So it's, it's a heart that, that says, what I have right now is not enough to satisfy, right? And so uh, I, I think in the world we live in, we're all challenged with that every day, right? Like, so you, you look around on TV and, and advertise, really the world is telling you all the time, like, you need more to be happy, right? And so that, that's what this guy um, is, is feeling here. And he's looking at his brother's stuff and saying, if I just had some of that, then life would be good. All right. And so I, I think those kind of things that I don't know about you, they happen in my heart sometimes. Right. Our, our hearts are like little desire factories that are that are going 24 seven and they're they're always on the hunt for something. Right They're They're always craving, wanting, looking for something to treasure in or delight in. And they're always trying to answer that question. What will make me happy? Right. And so some people might agree with the man in this story. They they might say, hey, I, I agree. Life would be better if I had more money. Right. 
Any of you feel that lately? Like everything's getting so expensive and there's inflation and the economy's not great. And, and like that, that thought comes through our head. If I just had a little bit more, maybe that would take the pressure off and, and things would be a little bit easier and I wouldn't be so worried and then life would be good. Or, or maybe it's a certain quality of life that, that you're after. So you, you, you think if I just had this certain house and this certain neighborhood with this certain vehicle... And, and we, we even do this thing where we, we like close our eyes and we imagine it, right? And you, and you start like thinking of that version of you and you're like, oh man, look, that's me in that house and I'm trying. And that version of you always looks happy, right? Like you never imagine and that guy's miserable. Like it's always like better, right? And so uh, we, 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 we look for these things and we, we, our heart is always grasping for something to make us happy. So it could be anything. It could be a different job. Uh, raising your salary, a certain kind of spouse, better behaved children. All right, our minds begin to consider those things. Our hearts begin to treasure those things, and then we covet those things, believing that there's no happiness in life without them. Right, and so that that is what Jesus is trying to address in today's passage. And and our hearts can do that with all manner of things. Right. So I have a, a four-year daughter or four-year-old daughter at home. Her name's Ella. And right now, for her, that thing is candy and dark mixed stuff. It's like she is just like totally, completely convinced that if she has those two things in her life, that is that is living, right? And so you know it because if you're around her for more than, I don't know, like 12 seconds, she's gonna ask for one of those two things, right? And so she'll she'll come up to me, she'll be like, Daddy, can can I have another piece of candy? And I'll Ella, didn't you already have a piece of candy? And she'll say, Dad, just please, one more. Right, like that's her favorite phrase. And okay, you can have one more piece, right? Or she'll, she'll watch Doc McStuffins and, you know, the episode ends and, and she runs and you can hear running through the house. Dad, can I watch one more episode, please? Just one more, right? But, but we all know the truth, right? Whether I let her have three more pieces of candy or watch Doc McStuffins all day, it's not going to ultimately satisfy her, right? And so that, that's because we all know that the, the sum total of life is not all about candy and Doc McStuffins, right? That's a little bit too much pressure to put on uh, TV and candy, right? And so uh, those, those are indeed good things that, that should be and can be enjoyed by Ella, but they're not the most important thing in her life. All right, so Ella, whether you're four years old or whether you're 80 years old, our hearts were not created and designed to be most satisfied in the things of this world, right? Our, our hearts were made to be most happy in or delight most in God. But just like you and I and the man in our passage, it's so easy for our hearts to get disordered desires, right? To where, to where we actually get all of the, the wants and the desires in our life um, mixed up. We, we take even good things from God, good gifts, and we start treasuring them a little too much and putting our hope and our trust and our happiness in those things instead of in God where it ought to be. So Timothy Keller, he has a, a great illustration that really uh, helped me personally think through this. So he, he kind of compares our life to investment portfolios. And so he says, there's all these good things that God has given you in life that you can invest in or you can dump yourself into, right? And so, uh, so he, would, he would put things in that category like your relationship with your spouse, um, time spent with your kids, health and exercise, 
ice cream and TV, candy and Doc McStuffins, right? So like all those categories are these things in our life. And so it's, they, they, they actually are good things that deserve some of me, but they don't deserve all of me, right? And so it, it's a good thing for me as a husband um, to, to pour myself out, to treasure, to delight in my wife. Like I should do that at some point in every day, right? And, and I, should, I should give her some of myself, but she shouldn't get all of me. Right? Like that would be broken, right? And, and uh, I should work hard. Like I should go to my job and, and I should put in work and I should come home tired and, and my job should get a certain amount of me. And, and then there's time, like there's time to watch a TV show. There's time to eat ice cream. They're like all those things deserve parts of us. But what, what happens is often our desires get disordered. Things get out of whack or out of place. And we begin to dump too much of ourselves into things that ought not have our, our whole heart, right? And so what, what, that, what happens then is things get disordered and, and you have idolatry, right? Our heart begins to love and trust and hope in things apart from God. And so it's no wonder that, that Paul says this in Colossians uh, 3 verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires. And then listen to this. And covetousness, which is idolatry. So like he puts both. He says these are these are the same thing, right? When, when your heart is loving, craving, chasing after, hoping, trusting in this thing, when you're coveting it, coveting it and you, you prize it most. He says that thing's become an idol in your life and you need to deal with it. So um, when we do that, when we treasure other things first and most before God, and we put them at the very center of our life, this is a covetous heart. This is idolatry. And so Jesus, uh, that's the problem he sees in the man who comes, comes forward and interrupts his sermon to talk about his brother's stuff, right? He says, there's something that's that, like, this is not okay, right? There's something in your heart. It's craving, it's wanting, it's hoping in something um, that, that can't satisfy. And so Jesus wants to show us how serious this is. He wants uh, to show us and, and the man in our passage what the end of covetous idolatry is. And so Jesus tells a parable. Uh, this is the parable of the rich fool. And so this is a story about a farmer who is blessed by God with a plentiful harvest, right? Like uh, a bumper crop, all right? So th- this is what the farmer had hoped for, right? This, this is like, I don't know if there's any farmers here. It's why you farm, right? Like he, he went out, he, he tilled up the ground, he put in sweat equity, he worked real hard. And, and planted in hopes that there would be a harvest, right? A big, abundant, plentiful harvest, right? And so it, it's the same reason that people um, invest money in the stock market or start a business or buy rental properties or play the lottery or get up and go to work every morning. Like You do those things because you're hoping that you get some kind of worthwhile return. And so that, that's exactly what happens to the, the man in our story, okay? He wakes up. One morning to the harvest of a lifetime, right? His his fields are like bursting at the seams and he can hardly believe his eyes. All right. He, he, he may have went to bed a rich farmer like he starts off a rich farmer. But when he wakes up, he's an exceedingly rich farmer. Right. Like so rich. He's like, I don't ever have to work again. Like I, I can quit this farming deal. All right. And so how, how much does he have? This harvest is so big, it's so plentiful, he has so many wealth and possessions, he can't even fit them into his barns, plural, right? Like he's like, 
the, the barns won't hold it all, right? Like, and so he's like, I got to build bigger ones. And so he starts construction project. And he's building these bigger barns so he can keep all of his stuff. All right. Now, some of us aren't farmers in the room. So try to imagine for a second that you wake up tomorrow for, for some reason or another to a big pile of cash. All right. And then not just like a little cash, like, oh, OK, I can just go down to the bank and deposit this. Like so much cash, you're like. I need three banks. Like, that would be a good problem to have some of us to think, right? Like, so, so much, like, ample wealth that you can't even keep it all in one place, okay? And so that's what is going on here in this farmer's life. And he gets to answer a very important question. What am I going to do with all this? Right? Like, I've got all this wealth. What am I going to do with all of this extra money? The, the bills are paid. There's money in the savings account. And still, there's so much left over. What am I going to do with it all? Now, um, if you guys are like me, I'm sure you've imagined that scenario in your head before. Like, have you ever thought, what would I do with that a million dollars, right? What would I do with that investment? So sometimes in our mind, we like, kinda, we like to pretend that this happened, right? And so you, you start trying to answer that question with, with what you would do, right? If, if, if suddenly you came into millions of dollars, or um, what would you do if the email from the Nigerian prince turned out to be a real thing, right? And not a scam. Like, what, what, what would you spend your riches on? And honestly, there's a lot of ways to answer this question because money can do things. Right? Like, we all know that. Like, even a kid knows that. You give a kid 20 bucks and they get excited because their mind's already thinking about what it can do. So money can buy houses and, and buy cars and boats. It can send your kids to college. It can fix your crooked nose or make your teeth whiter. Okay, it can give you nice clothes or give you new opportunities. It can elevate you in the eyes of the world. It can make you feel special. It can fly you all over the world and let you experience all sorts of things. Okay, and that's why it's easy for our hearts to love it and treasure it because it can give us what our heart desires, right? But that's not always a good thing. Listen to this warning in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. So yes, money gives you opportunity to pursue your heart's desires, but as we all know, our heart doesn't always desire the right things. Right? Some, sometimes our heart's pretty crooked, and it wants things that it could not or should not have. All right? And so, so Paul tells us that these desires can be harmful. All right? and, and, and I don't have to tell you guys. You guys know what goes on in your head. You know what, what goes on in your heart sometimes. Can, can you see how that might plunge you into ruin or destruction if you've got to gratify every desire? Every thought could could you see how that might ensnare you and wreck your life or or even cause you to wander away from the faith? And and so he's like, this is serious stuff, right? That that's what he is addressing. So again, to echo the words of Jesus in, in verse 13, be on guard against all covetousness. Life does not, does not consist of the abundance of possessions. So, in other words, church, be careful what your heart treasures. Like, like keep a close eye on what, what it wants to go after. Keep an eye on what it hopes in and trusts in and longs for. 
Or, or you could use Jesus' language in the parable. He says, pay attention to what you're rich towards. That, that's how Jesus kind of talks about that. Like, what are you rich towards with your time, your money, your energy and effort? Where are you, you dumping or investing yourself? All right. So look again at the parable starting in verse 18. And, and we remember the, this farmer, he's just had this amazing bumper crop. He has more than he could need. He's abundantly wealthy. And he's trying to answer that question. What am I going to do with my wealth? All right. So looking in verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. All right. So so how does he answer that question? What, What are his big plans for his wealth? Bigger barns. Right? Store it all up. All right. So, so what's the problem with that? Like, is, is God against barns? Does he hate savings accounts? God's like, savings accounts are a terrible. Idea. Okay, no, that's that's not what going is going on here. Okay. The the man in the parable is not called foolish because he's a productive farmer. He's not called foolish because he's rich. He's he's not called foolish because he builds bigger barns. He's called foolish because his heart's greatest desire, the, the greatest thing he can conceive of in his mind. Is, is pouring and spending all of his riches on himself. That's why God calls the man a fool. So all these riches are stored up in his barns and they allow him to go after what he really treasures most in life. And verse 19 says, what he wants most in life is to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. All right, so uh, all these riches that are piled up in his barns allow his heart to go after what they really want. And, and what he prizes most is to live his life in a way that says, rest and relaxation is my greatest treasure. I don't have to work anymore. I'm going to go sit on my butt and do whatever I want, right? Um, he, he lives in such a way that says, good food and strong drink make me happy. All right, these are the things that make my life worthwhile. And now nothing's in my way. I get to do those every single day. Right. And so you, you might imagine this guy like walking around thinking he's made it. Right. So he, he retired early and now he can do what he wants. And, and I'm sure everybody else who's looking at him is like, that is awesome. I wish my fields would do that. Right. And so they've got this in their mind. And, and so this guy's walking around living the American dream saying, don't you wish you could be like me? Don't you wish you had the time and the money to do whatever you want? Make work hard and maybe someday you can be in this position. To, to have whatever your heart treasures. But, but look at what happens in the story. Then suddenly, abruptly, unexpectedly, for the first time in the parable, God shows up and he speaks. And he says, you fool, you chose poorly. For tonight you will die, and who in their right mind would envy you then? All right? you, you think anybody's going to want to trade places with you when you're buried in the ground? Right? And what will become of your treasure? Who's going to get all that stuff that you piled up? Are, are you really so, so surprised? Did you think your riches would last forever? Dude, you got to enjoy them for one night. That was a, that was a foolish, a foolish uh, trade. That was an unwise decision. And now your, your treasure is rotting away in a barn while you're rotting away in the ground. That's the parable. That Jesus tells and this may just be a parable, but but believe me, there will be scores and scores, billions of people who this plays out in in their life. 
Like that's what they're going to make their life about. They're going to treasure and delight and chase and pursue all sorts of other things above God. And many of them will get it like and, and maybe it'll be for 10 years. Maybe it'll be for 20 or 40 or, or 80. Maybe every day of their life, they'll get what they want. And you, and you know what God will still say when it comes to an end? You fool. Because there is a greater treasure, right? I, I was having some conversations with some kids uh, a while back and just, just asking them funny questions while we were eating lunch. And I said, what would you guys do if you had a million dollars, right? And you, like, you ask this like first and second graders, you get some funny answers, right? Like, I'd buy a million Snickers bars, right? It's like, okay, right? Another kid's like, I'd spend it all on Minecraft. I'd buy every Minecraft game and I'd get all these. And you're like, okay. And like, you, you know what I'm thinking? Like, that's, that's dumb, right? Like any of us would be like, that's foolish. Like, that's the best your mind can conceive of is Snickers bars and a video game. Like, you can pay for your college. You, you can pay off your parents' house. You can buy you a house. Like, you know, you're, you're thinking of better things. And I, I think God's like that here. He's looking at this guy and he's like, the best you can think of is food and drinks and sitting on your butt. Like, that's your idea of living? Come on, man. Like, do, do you not know you could have leveraged that thing to make much of the most glorious being in the world? Like, you could have leveraged that for my kingdom and, and there would have been more joy and more happiness and more satisfaction in that. That's why he calls the man a fool. Is he's, he's wasting his life treasuring things that are, are going to perish. They will fail this man. And that's what Jesus wants the covetous man in the crowd to hear. Life's not about possessions. So keep a close watch on what your heart treasures. And do not chase after treasures that will fail you. But he, he also wants us to hear of a different kind of treasure. So there, there is a treasure that is worth delighting in, right? There, there is something that, that's worth, um, worthy of the best of our times and the depths of our affections. Something that, that we actually believe as God's people, you could pour your whole life out in, like pour your, your money, your time, your energy, your effort into. And when you die, you're no fool for it. Right. Like we, we believe that as God's people. And so Jesus, uh, he, he points to this in, in the next verses. OK. And, and he kind of ends that parable by saying the one who is rich towards God is no fool. That, that's what Jesus makes clear at the very end of the parable. So what does it look like to live your life in such a way that God that says God's the most valuable thing to me? Right. There, I mean, there are tons of places you can go. There's lots of ways to answer this. But what I'm going to do, at least for right now, is stick with um, the, the immediate context and where Jesus goes. So look at verses 22 through 34. And Jesus says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and what you will eat, nor about your body and what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, and they don't have storehouses or barns, yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all of these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and moth does not destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, so there's, there's several things that, that Jesus is trying to, to turn this guy's attention to, and he's, he's pointing out to his disciples there. And, and first of all, Jesus says, a, a life that is rich towards God or, or makes much of who God is, is a life that trusts in God's provision for all things. Right? And so Jesus teaches a, a lesson with, with the birds and the flowers. He says, man, if God is sovereignly ruling over even these small details of, of things like flowers and birds, can you trust him to manage your life? Right? Can you live in dependence on him? So he says, the, the birds, they don't plow fields. Like that's what he's saying to the farm, the, the, with the farmer illustration. They don't plant crops. They're, they're not eating and, and drinking lavishly. They don't have barns that they're storing stuff in. And yet God feeds them every day. And, and look at the flowers. They're, they're not working hard to buy new clothes. And they don't grab a needle and thread and, and sew things for them to wear. He says, but God clothes them more beautifully than any of us are clothed. right? And, and so what, what he's saying there is God takes care of all these details and a trillion more. And he knows exactly what you need. And you can just simply trust him. And, and here's the thing. When, when, when you live a life like that, it makes God look valuable. It does, like, when, when you're in need and when you're hurting and you're wanting, like, if you turn to money, it makes money look valuable. Like, i got to have the money, I need the money, it's good. i got to have this, i got to... Like, what, what you aim or what you trust in or what you hope in, you're exalting and saying, this is important. And when you do that with God, your Father, it makes Him look awesome. And, and the world's going to see that. Your kids are going to see that. They're going to see what you hope in, right? They're, they're going to watch what you, mom and dad do when things get, get tight. You know, where, where do we run to? Man, do, do we get on our knees and do we call out to our father and trust in him? If so, that makes God look incredibly valuable. Second of all, Jesus says that the person who treasures God most will seek God's kingdom over their own. Uh, that's what the rich man in the parable was really struggling with, right? He was, he was so busy building his own kingdom. He, he had a big harvest that meant bigger barns and more treasure so he could use it for his own glory, right? And, and this is something our world struggles with. Like, you, you look all around and you see people building their own kingdoms. And they're going hard after it, right? And so th- th- that's, that's what happens is that we, we saw that. Like, Jesus played it out in fast forward, okay? I don't care how long it takes Here's, here's where that ends. Your kingdom will fail. But, but he also says in this, this in Scripture, he says, I'm building a kingdom that's unshakable and unperishable and undefiled, right? And, and then get this. This is the most incredible thing. And I'll give it to you, right? Like, like heaven's kingdom over your puny one. And God will give it to those who trust in him. Like, that's a glorious thing. And so Jesus, like, it frees you up. You don't have to build your kingdom. God's building a kingdom, and he's going to give it to his people. 
So instead of worrying about yours and, and trying to make sure that you have this beautiful thing, like God's building something a billion times more beautiful than you can fathom of, all right, why don't you help him build that, right? And so that, that, that again, that makes God look valuable. Last of all, he says, a life that is rich towards God is a life that has a loose grip on the treasures and pleasures here and now because we're convinced that we found a better treasure to come. All right, that, that's all throughout Scripture. Uh, this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, <clears throat> he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. It's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 3. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I would count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's, it's what Jim Elliott had in mind when, when he said this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Amen. Right? Like all those things are telling, like they're telling us, hey, there's better treasure. There's better treasure. It's Christ. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's, it's ha- like having and belonging to Jesus and enjoying him forever. And so as, as we, we close this morning, I want you to take a moment, um, all of us to take a moment and examine our hearts. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you guys. Like my heart gets out of whack really easy, right? Like we were talking about earlier, like uh, wh- where we pour ourselves into. My, my desires can get disordered in about like two seconds, right? And so it's good sometimes for us just to take a step back and say, are, are there any desires or delights that are, that are out of whack in my life, right? If, if so, man, I, I need to repent of those things. I need to say, God, like forgive me for making much of money. Right. Like, for, forgive me, you know, for, for making much of sex, forgive me, whatever it is. Like, is there anything that, that's out of order that you need to repent of? Have you been setting your hope on or putting your trust in anything uh, before God or above God? Confess that. Turn away from that. And then going this forward this week, this will be a great thing. Like if we all just set our hearts to do, how am I practically going to treasure Christ? Like, so what am I going to do this week? That will put on display for my kids that Jesus is valuable. Like, like how am I going to go and work my job in such a way that like, when people look at me, they, they, they know that Jesus is my treasure. Like, how am I going to practically do that um, with, with my time this week, with, with my money, with my relationships? Am, am I going to sit down with my kids and, and do a Bible study every night? Say, hey guys, you know those songs we sing at church? They're on YouTube. We're going to put them on. Let's sing them together as a family. Right? That, that's going to say something to your kids, right? Hey, hey, let's. you know that Bible we were reading out of earlier? We're going to come to it every night, and we're going to open it together as a family. And, and we're going to see what Jesus has to say, right? And we're going to live like it's true. So I, I want you guys to consider those things as, as I pray. How would, how would God have you respond to this text today? Father God, we thank you so much for loving us how you do. Jesus, uh, we, we just want to say this together as a body of believers today. Jesus, you are the greatest treasure. That, that is factually true. And, and we also say this. There are times when, when our desires get mixed up and we don't treat you like we should. There are times when we love the things of this world too much. God, when we, when we set our hope on, on all sorts of other things beside you, 
God, would you please make those clear? Um, you, you, didn't, you didn't tell this parable to this man to be mean. You, you loved him and you cared about his heart. And you saw something there that you wanted him to address. And, and, you, and you love these people. God, you, you love me. And, and you want to address the broken things in our heart. God, not to be mean or cruel, but because you don't want us to choose foolish treasures. You want us to have the, the best thing ever, which, which is you. And so, God, please um, put, a, put our greatest hope in you. God, be our, our greatest treasure, our greatest love. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.